prepare yourselves physically, emotionally, intellectually, let yourself know that what you're about to do is the most significant thing that you can ever do. What you're about to do is the most intimate intimate that you have that you have ever been ever done so that the emotion the sense of I'm about to do something of significance something truly meaningful that all the components that accompany that thought let them arise within your being let the emotional components arise, let the physical components arise, let the breath express, let the heartbeat express it. Feeling it like your, the hairs on your skin rising, your heartbeat changing in whatever physical emotional way you experience this the thought the endeavor I'm about to do something truly meaningful and experience how this very experience of I'm about to do something truly meaningful, how it already begins to tranquilize, pacify all those things within your being that are not necessary for this venture. So the body begins to enter into a physical tranquility the emotions, the intellect, begins to enter into a tranquility. And just be aware of that tranquility. And let it take over the body. Let it take over the mind. In the body you experience a nice pleasant sense of ease in the legs, the arms, the hands, the torso, the head and neck, the eyes, the face. <clears throat> A sense of stability where you don't need to consciously have to deal with the body, hold the body. And the breath itself begins to be tranquilized. And that same palpable, pleasant experience is experienced also with the breath. 
you feel a calming, a palpable mental calming in the mind. You don't feel yourself immediately emotionally responding to what your senses are picking up. The components of the mind that are naturally distracting, naturally afflicting, naturally disturbing, they are resting, they are being pacified. The components connected to attachment, aversion, clinging to wrong perceptions, they're no longer active, they're pacifying. Experience it, experience the peace that is brought to the mind because of their pacification. Rather the peace that is dawning in the mind, in whatever measure, and allow that tranquility to take place in the body, in the breath, in the mind. while the energy of your aspiration, your sense of, I'm about to do something truly meaningful, bring about a sense of alertness in the mind, allowing a sense of clarity to begin also to dawn. <coughs> and as the mind is slowly falling into its natural, quiet nature, natural, tranquil nature, as it passes disturbing thoughts, disturbing memories, The automatic reactions to get attached, to have aversion, to throw up wrong perceptions, wrong conclusions, they are asleep or they are weak because of the tranquility, because of the pacification. So it's as if a contradictory experience is taking place. While pacification is taking place, a sense of energizing is also taking place. The alertness of the mind is being energized. The clarity of the mind is being energized.
to assure yourself to stay in a direction that you are aiming. while you are palpably experiencing this tranquility that is deepening with every breath, with every moment, to some degree. Bring your attention to the space in front of you at the level of your eyebrows and feel the bright presence of your infallible guide, the infallible means through which you will without a doubt achieve the aim of your aspirations. You will accomplish your endeavor to do something truly meaningful. ego be afraid. Don't be afraid. Anticipate joy, but don't get attached. Just stay open. Continue to energize and purify this space. you're venturing deeper within. Fit, fill it with reverence, genuine sense of reverence for your infallible guide. Gratitude. truly entrusting yourself entrusting yourself with confidence that you have the ability you have all the tools you need to achieve your goal Not only do you have the tools, you have an infallible guide to guide you. Entrust yourself in those two.
strengthen your determination. Be determined to detach yourself from all habits that are actually obstructing you from achieving your aim. And depend on the power of compassion, your devotion to your infallible guide for strength. Strengthen your determination. Whatever behavior you need to impose upon yourself now, whatever behavior you need to undertake, physically, mentally, emotionally, have a strong determination to undertake them. And again, rely on the power of compassion, power of your devotion to your infallible guide for strength. Feel the stream of that momentum that has gathered up, that is gathered up to this point. And again, recall what you're about to do and direct that momentum to the success of this meditation. And think of the various obstacles that you may encounter, that you have encountered not wishing to encounter again and direct that momentum to help you and also those qualities that you were aiming for not quite achieved those that you have already tasted and the new ones may you achieve them may you stabilize what you have achieved feeling truly ready 
bring that bright presence to the crown of your head. And now, depending mostly on your devotion, the power of your devotion to your infallible guide, the conviction that you have an infallible guide who is presently helping you, who will transmit to you the realization you seek. So using that power of devotion and conviction, plead to your divine guide to help you, to strengthen what needs to be strengthened, to remove what needs to be removed. If the vividly appearing sense of self has not yet come up to your mind and beg for blessings for it to appear. The way we unconsciously believe ourselves to exist, that is mistaken. And if the strength of your ability to analyze it, to truly look at it, is not strong enough, may it be strengthened. If the body interferes, if your emotions, your memory, your senses interfere, beg for blessings for you not to be disturbed by them.
and slowly become aware of the physical properties of the breath. Through the awareness of the physical properties of the breath, the weight, the feel of it, the warmth, the temperature, become aware of the physical body. And sit in a in a way that you are really comfortable. Stretch your legs, bend the cushions, whatever you need to do to be leisurely comfortable. <coughs> Get ready, everyone, and see how many who I see. All right. Uh, when you are in the within the Mahayana tradition, when you take a a vow, when you become a, you take a bodhisattva vow. Can't say when you become a bodhisattva. You don't become a bodhisattva when you go to the Dalai Lama or someone and say, give me the vows of a bodhisattva. You become a bodhisattva when there is a genuine uh, uh, stream of love and compassion for everyone. And you take upon yourself the responsibility, I will make sure that everyone becomes truly happy. I will make sure that everyone becomes free from their suffering. And I'm going to become myself, I'm going to to uh, perfect myself in order to be, to make sure it happens. Until this becomes a spontaneous aspiration within you, you're not yet a bodhisattva. And you can have this spontaneous uh, aspiration without even hearing, ever hearing that there is such a thing as a bodhisattva. At that moment, you are a bodhisattva. Okay. Uh, you could be someone who even, uh, having heard there is some far away, in a far away way, or there's these people who are Buddhists and they believe in this and that, you say, oh, those people. You could even be such a person. <laughs> but once such an aspiration truly ripens within you, you are a bodhisattva. Okay. So, to maintain that aspiration, you will uh, almost... Uh, uh, or uh, instinctively make a determination, make a, a, a take on certain uh, commitments, take on make a make certain vows in order to protect this aspiration, this very precious aspiration that I have developed. I will no longer do this. I will do that. I will no longer do this. I will do that. I'm a, I'm a, a especially a, 
concerned about those people, about that kind of problem. I, will, I make a special vow to deal with that. Okay. Uh, and and they're usually all those different people you know, in the different corners of the universe when they make that aspiration. There are certain vows that they, commitments and vows that they take that, that they share. Okay. And the uh, uh, and these are the ones that when you go to a Lama, when you go to the Lama and you feel the aspiration to become a Bodhisattva and you, and you take the vows. Uh, so you're basically wanting to be a Bodhisattva and you're starting to uh, behave as though you are already a Bodhisattva. You're restraining yourself from certain things and you are engaging in certain activities. <sighs> Why did I bring that up about the Bodhisattva? <laughs> So once you have this, uh, um, among the uh, the things that you're supposed to refrain from from doing is that when you're teaching others, especially when you're teaching about the true nature of that person, <laughs> you're teaching that person how the, you teach that person. How can that person come face to face with whom they with, with who they really are? What you end what you're gonna end up doing, you're gonna end up disappointing this person. Because this person is going to come face to face to realize that what I thought I was, I am not. And because of the repercussion that takes place when someone gets such a disappointment. The psychological uh, repercussions. Is that the mm -hmm. psychological repercussion mm -hmm. that takes place? You're, you take a vow. I will not teach openly to just anyone willy-nilly about this, because there is a psychological repercussion that can take place. I want to make sure that I prepare this person first before I teach. Before I give them the profound instruction. What does it mean by? teaching them the profound aspect of, of this truth. The profound aspect means now, because of what you're going to teach them, they may have this psychological repercussion. You will destroy their ego. That is the point, that is the purpose of, this, of, of, of the teaching, to destroy their ego. And if the person is not ready, then that person may end up uh, uh, what do you call it? Having an uh, instead of this truth freeing them, this truth may actually bind them uh, tighter to samsaric existence because they will reject it. Because if the ego is not ready to be destroyed, the ego will do the opposite. The ego will Cling will uh, will um, strengthen. What? strengthen strengthen its grasp onto its onto itself. Okay, so that's why the bodhisattvas take this vow: I will not teach the profound aspect of this truth 
to someone who's not yet ready, someone who's not yet prepared. Okay? Because you will end up as a bodhisattva, instead of freeing someone or set someone on the path to be being freed, you're actually doing the uh, you're actually doing the opposite of your aspiration. You're making them be uh, clean tighter. And the danger uh, of it is the next time the, someone comes to even, uh, it will take a longer time for this person to be ready, to, to be made ready uh, for the truth in the future. So that person will distance themselves from whenever they hear any kind of, any kind of conversation concerning how to destroy the ego, they will stay away from it. So they will miss on. Uh, they will deliberately make themselves miss opportunities, stay away from opportunities to destroy the ego. So essentially, when you are seeking to know the true nature of reality, you are seeking to completely disappoint yourself. You are seeking to completely <coughs> destroy your ego. Jamion Kensei Rinpoche. In uh, what's that Thich book again? What Buddhism doesn't teach? No, as a go again. What the Buddha? No, that's. What makes you a Buddhist? What makes you not a Buddhist? What makes you not a Buddhist? What makes you not a Buddhist? If you haven't read that book yet, I would uh, uh, advise you to go to go get it. It's a it's a very beautiful book. It's because Jamin Kinsey the way he. He has, he has such an understanding of our way of understanding, of our way of communicating, that he's, it, it, his, his teaching is very direct. So in there, when he's talking about, but in, in a different way, so I'm talking about when you are looking for what, who am I really, what you, what, essentially what you're doing is you're looking for a hammer to smash your ego. And Jamin Kensei puts it in a different way. He said, when you're looking for the root lama, the root teacher, the one who's going to point to you, this is what your true nature is, he said, what you're looking for is for someone to destroy your ego. So when you make that kind of relationship with a, a, a guru, a lama, a spiritual teacher, and then you feel your ego is being smacked around every once in a while, then you, you found <laughs> that might be an indication, yes, you've established a true relationship with a true guru. If your ego is being built, is being built up even further, then maybe that's not, you didn't really find a guru. Or maybe, <laughs> uh, the, the Dalai Lama himself said it, you can't destroy the ego that is not there. So maybe the, 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 this teacher is building up the ego so that the, the smashing will be an even more spectacular <laughs> effect. <laughs> okay. So the reason I'm saying this, I'm sort of covering myself. I'm, well, uh, the term is not myself, it's something else, but <laughs> I'm covering my, myself. <laughs> That's why I looked around to make sure that I think I... These are the people who've been coming to this teaching for quite some time, so we're somewhat prepared. Okay. So now we are going to do the meditation 
on the four points, okay, the four essential points. And at the end of it, and even while you are in the process of doing that, if you feel, oh my God, and fear comes, then I did my job. <laughs> if you feel like you should run away from this, then I did my job. <laughs> but if this creates an aversion instead, a misunderstanding, then I'm really screwed up. <laughs> okay. But this is why in, I have to say this over and over again, in the sutras, when the Buddha is talking about the experience, the initial impact, you go through a, a phase, a, a, a spiritual phase that the Buddha refers to as the patience acceptance. Or the patience, was it acceptance, the patient endurance? No, not endurance. Bearing? Bearing. Yeah. You have to bearing to bear the truth. What does that mean? To, what, what is he referring to? Is it is like a blissful experience? And then he says, if they weren't completely destroyed psychologically by this, then something beautiful comes up after. Okay. So, get ready. You may leave this, this place completely destroyed. <laughs> the e nice, beautiful ego you walked in with tonight may be gone. <laughs> okay. That's how significant you should feel when you're about to enter meditation on the true nature of reality. Something significant, something earth, earth, shattering. shattering. I was thinking of a different word, but the meaning was there. <laughs> something earth shattering is supposed to take place. Okay. So that's why every part of it, make sure every part is well, is well set. Don't rush. Okay. If you're feeling bored, it may be because you skip steps. Okay. All right. What are the four? The first thing is you must bring up vividly, as vividly as possible, a sense of uh, the sense of me, I am, it must be vivid in your mind. So whatever unconscious, whatever unconscious conviction we have about who we are, we must bring that to the surface. Okay. Go after, and, you, and you have to go deep, dig deep to find it. And you will find yourself afraid to bring it out, even. Okay. So just keep digging for it. And there are many way, there are different ways of, of making it come up. One way is to remember a time when you were very embarrassed. Think of a time when you were very afraid. Think of a time when you were very, very excited, when, you, when the sense of me was very vivid. And it, must, it mustn't just come up 
in a fraction of a moment and then you go to the next step. You keep, you keep it so that it stays steady because you're going to need to hold the hand of that. You're going to need to have it. You, you, you're going to, uh, two parts of your mind will, will, will be active. A part that is vividly looking or vividly experiencing me and a part of your mind that is sort of uh, looking for, look, look, looking at it and just trying to, just trying to, uh, uh, to determine what is it really. Okay. That's what the, uh, the Panchad Lama in Delam, uh, the path of ease, Sometimes people call it the path of bliss. You find that book. Uh, there's a, there's a uh, commentary, a book commentary on it by Dalai Lama. That was written a long time ago. Okay, so get that and go. You can skip to the <laughs> the, the the part where uh, the meditation on, on the self. And then what he's describing as a tiny part of your mind looking at that vivid appearance, and then looking to see what is the, let's say, the uh, disappearance. Not only there is this disappearance, but the appearance is conveying a message. This is who I am. This is what I am. And you examine it. Okay, if this is who you are, then this must follow. And as soon as one thing that comes up, and then you f you find yourself not able to to uh, to verify it, then you you make that uh, uh, go away until I don't like giving. Or this is what you're supposed to experience. I don't like giving those because sometimes the imagination will make you will create the 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 illusion that you are experiencing that, and you get stuck. Okay, but I have to tell you, eventually, everything that is okay. Let me put it this way: everything that is false that is appearing to you. This is why I'm. And then you examine, okay, if, if, if this is what is, if this is, if this is really what is being presented to me, and you keep, and you, uh, all those false appearances, you remove them until, oh, this is a cute way of saying it, <laughs> until there is no appearance of any false sense whatsoever, then you will just stay there. That's where the fear will come up. That's where the ego will start to feel threatened. Because the, the ego is all those false sense of, all those false ideas, all those false convictions about what the, what, what the I, what the self is supposed to be. So when you completely remove all those, then the fear, then the hesitation to continue further, and that's and this is what the this is the the phase where the Buddha says you have to bear this truth. Okay, and once you go through the process of bearing this truth, now how do I say this without 
Uh, because what you're staring at, the complete absence of any false, any false uh, sense of self. Okay, you've completely exhausted any all the false uh, experiences of self, and you're looking directly at the absence of that. And it's called space-like equ space-like equipoise, space-like absorption. Basically, it means experientially you're looking at what seems to be empty space, but you're not looking at empty space. It's not like you go, you know, you take a spaceship and then you, you look at you're into empty space. Okay, there's a, there is an appearance which is there's no appearance whatsoever. Okay, so it seems like space. That's why it's called space-like. It is say now. You, you, you are looking at space. Space-like. An experience that is very similar to when you're looking at space. Forget the stars. Remove all the stars. Okay. And then, there's going to be a sense of the ego trying to identify with that space. With that complete nothing. No, no thing appearing. Then at, at the first sense, hesitation, fear, and when you bear that truth, then you realize it's not just complete lack of appearance. You're actually staring directly at truth. You're actually, actually directly staring at Mm. pure, unadulterated, true freedom. And that's where the, if you're able to bear the bare part, and that's where the bliss and the beautiful, uh, that's when the bliss and the beautiful experiences start, start to, uh, to dawn. Okay. So, how do we get there? The first part, the vividness of it. How do you make it happen? Say your name and keep looking for that sense of self coming up. Let that sense of self uh, appear in a stream, in an unbroken stream, steady, stabilized. Once that's there, then you, then you draw, uh, okay, now you, you tell yourself, I'm about to do an experiment, okay? And you sort of like, uh, how do you say, delineate what should be the, the limit of the experiment, okay? So you're only going to be looking uh, within this, for example, within this, the limit of this table, right? And what you're looking for, you've established is something that can only be on this on this table, for example. So you're gonna look at every space of surface of the table, exhaust every single space, leaving nothing behind. You're not gonna jump from here to there and then say, well, there's nothing. Because somewhere in the back of your mind, there's gonna be an unconscious grasping to this part, maybe. Oh, you didn't look at that part, okay, that's what it is. So you have to look at every single uh, 
a possibility of where that sense of self should be or what could be that sense of self. And that's why I ask you, when you think of self, that feeling of self comes up. There's also an appearance of either an emotion or you see your body, you see your face, or you feel something. So that's, the, that's what I'm referring to as an appearance. Okay? So the appearance is like the surface of the table. So it's saying it is either that thing, your face, or something that is in the face. So it cannot be any it cannot be any anything other than that. So that's the the limit. Okay? It's like you walk into a room and then you want to leave and you're looking for your keys and you can't find your keys. And you say the keys must be here because I entered the room. I must have opened the door with the, I must have opened the door with the keys. So the keys must be in this room somewhere. So you exhaust every single space of that room. So you exhaust all those appearances that it seems to appear when you're saying I to see is it really what I'm feeling as I. The feeling, I can help you with that, is a, something connected with a, a truly uh, a truly unique, nothing else in the universe is equal to it or, or, or the same as it. I'm talking about identical, the same thing. Not that look-alike, I'm not talking about look-alike. Is it. Nothing else in the universe is it. Okay? That's one, that's one feeling of it. So that's the discreteness of it, the uniqueness of it. So it must have a sense of uniqueness, sense of discreteness. Something that is can actually be isolated, that you can actually somehow present it in whatever way. Okay? If it's a color, it can be presented to what perceives color. If it's a feeling, it can be presented to the what feels. If it's temperature, it can be presented to a thermometer, something like that. Okay? Something discreet. And also, this is where it, it, it's sort of the, uh, what you, the, the explanation of the feeling, the word that we use may not help. But you can, when you feel it, you understand what, it, what is meant by it. They say it feels like it has no parts. By parts, in the sense of you cannot point to it, to any, you cannot, you cannot, it's going to sound weird, okay. You cannot point to any part and say something else other than just me. Okay. Like, for example, uh, the table has parts. <coughs> right? If I, in whatever, wherever my finger points on the table, I can say a word that is not table. Surface. Bottom, leg, things like that. So pointing to it, and because I'm saying something other than just table, rather than uh, I'm being forced, 
I'm not being forced to say table. Okay, so in this, so the sense of self must be unlike the table, where wherever you point, you you must be forced to say self. You cannot say something else. Okay, because it is something else, <laughs> right? So that's what they mean by partless. So there must be this sense of of it, sense of me. Okay. And the appearance is the appearance that is sort of simultaneously arising with the feeling. Are they the same? If your face is appearing, then is the face partless? Is the face discrete? Is the face truly, really unique? That there's nothing else that, that, is, that I can point to and say the same thing here. Like, if face is myself, is truly the self, then twins are really, um, I remember, I think that might, some people already believe that it's the same self. <laughs> but if you don't believe that it's the same self, <laughs> and if, especially if you're a twin, uh, you sort of know that, uh, no, that's someone else and that's me over here. So, but the faces are very similar, right? So you, no one should look at, point to that and say something else. All right. Um, may not be a good example, but that's the only one I can pick up. <laughs> All right. So, so that's that's that. So that's what you're you're doing. Simultaneously appearing, that's the feeling. And the appearance, a memory, uh, my face, my body, some something in my mind or my mind. And so that's the appearance and the feeling. Should be partless. It should be unique. It should be discrete. When I point to it. it should, Wherever I point, however I point, it should, I always, should always say self. And when you point to the face, you see it over there, you say nose. Wait a minute, I didn't say self. You point to here, you say, oh, I didn't say self, I say I. So that's, it, does, it doesn't fit the criteria of being partless, what feels as being partless. And so what do you do with the face? You toss that, you remove it. When you remove it, what in that space where the face used to be, what is there? You, you look at there. Okay? So, so whatever appears, if it's false, if it's, not what, if it's not what fit the criteria of that feeling, you remove it and you look at the place, what's left from where it, that thing used to be. You have to keep staring at that. Okay? And... Uh, Unless that experience that the Buddha refers to as what you should be bearing, if it's truly unbearable, like you somehow you feel like you're gonna go crazy because you can't find I can't find myself. My God, I can't find myself. I gotta exist and I can't find myself. If that experience is really I'm talking about you no know, clinically making you go feeling to start to go crazy. Stop. And then, instead of just stopping right there because you might end up crazy, I'm, I'm being serious, even though it sounds, uh, I'm joking. You have to go back and say, I must, I, I exist. There it is, here I am. I'm sitting on this chair. So go back to the, to what you, what you, uh, on the surface, say is yourself. And just stay with it, and stay with that. 
Okay. All right. Uh, so. <laughs> the limit, the appearance, the limit, and then it's either that very thing or something within that thing, or something that owns that thing. That's what we call refer to as the owner. The self is the owner, or the self is the thing that is being owned. Yes? Is this, sir, is this what's referred to as the chief Chidrak? Uh, no, not, not quite. Chief Chidrak, is incorporated within it. Okay. It's incorporated with, when you're doing the analysis. Okay. So you may end up with a general, and or and then you may end, you may end up uh, with uh, as soon as you say general, you know, automatically there's a, some sort of specific involved. So that is involved in there. Uh, so one, two, three. Did I mention four? Yeah, I mentioned fourth already, but I didn't call it the fourth. So when you're doing those two things, there it is. These are the possible ways that it has to be. These are the places I have to look for it. You look for it in those two ways. It is either that or something in it or something owning it. And then you end up with the fourth, which is that what do you end up with? What is referred to as the space-like experience, space-like absorption. Your mind, your senses... Every part of your mind is absorbed into just looking at that, that, that space where those things, the falsehood are removed. Okay. You must do the removing. Okay. If it is not, for example, uh, because of learning in this modern age, a lot of us believe that we are our brain. This mushy gray stuff inside your head. We have, some of us have either an unconscious conviction or surface conviction that I am my brain. Then you look at it, that sense of uniqueness, that sense of, sense of discreteness. Is, does this uh, gooey, gray stuff, does it fit that, uh, uh, that, that criteria of the sense of it, okay? And once you come up, once you cannot find how this, uh, once they, you, you see that it, it, it doesn't fit, you have to remove brain. By remove brain, there must, no, there must no longer be any part of your mind, any part of your Sounds very confusing for some people because some people think the mind and the brain is the same thing. Right? Because how could you remove the mind and the mind is still... Okay, never mind. Okay. <laughs> so when you remove the brain, means that there must not be any part of your mind that is holding on to the conviction. Either, especially, I'm talking about, there's no un unconscious aspect of your mind that, w that you can find that is holding on to your brain as being me as being the self. Actually, uh, on the third step when you're doing it is either that or it's something within it, you naturally come to the conclusion, or it must be in it, because you're now you're experiencing a sense of objectivity, a sense of detachment, 
to those things that you are saying that's me and because you're experiencing that sense of detachment you naturally say oh it i must be something different something with something that is in those things and you have to establish is that true okay and after that then you can have that clear looking at complete lack of appearance of any of the false convictions about the self i thought i was going to be talking for 5 seconds <laughs> but not okay so i want you to have an exper an experience of looking at this table here with the cup on it and feel the conviction you have that the there is a cup on the on the table right <clears throat> let's say okay now your attention is is uh, distracted and you turn around okay and then you come back and you look at the table and this is what you are looking this is what you're seeing Now, if there is a part of you that somehow believes that somehow the cup could could sit build there, then you have to look in every place that's the possible place for where the cup should be. And once you've completely exhausted this, this is what you end up looking at. What you are looking at directly now is what is referred to as, or we can say, you're looking directly at the absence of the cup. that's the fourth stage that's where the ego is afraid to look to see if you start to feel apprehension try to calm it if the apprehension is too overwhelming then go back stop looking at the table with, with no cup on it okay just think about the cup <laughs> without the table okay all right sorry for this long drawn out supposed to be short instructions i guess i'm covering my self <laughs> oh what time does it say 8:48 whoo Oh wow, I guess I really covered myself. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's see if we can get at least an emotional experience of of what I'm pointing to. So the first the sense of I'm about to do something truly significant. and if you feel your ego being inflated never mind i mean don't uh, don't push it away let the ego make itself appear to you because that's what you that's what you want and just the mere thought i'm about to do something significant 
and your mind is already directed towards meditation being a very significant, very important aspect of it, you should start to feel your body and your mind slowly entering into that state. And what indicates that you're slowly entering into it is a sense of tranquility, the sense of ease that you may be experiencing already in the body, in the mind. And that very thought is sort of enhancing the sense of ease, the sense of tranquility. Put the body in such a posture, in such a state, that no part of your conscious mind is involved in holding the posture, holding the body, dealing with the body. So you can have the strength to bear the truth. Go back to your infallible guide above your head and now bring this presence of the infallible guide inside your heart center. Feel protected. Feel empowered. Feel ready. So the space, the tranquility that you're experiencing, now fill that space with compassion, compassionate purpose, universal compassionate purpose. And feel the protection that this universal compassion gives you.
try to catch the sense of I as fast as you can. So don't dwell too much on trying We're going to think of someone who will call your name. And that person calls your name. And as soon as you hear your name being called, feel your sense of self responding to that. Feel the response. And don't just say it once and then feel it in dwelling in reverie, dwelling in uh, darkness, but rather keep repeating your name. So repeat it, feel it, for as long as it is vivid, stay with it, then repeat the name again. But try to get to a sense of stability, a sense of a stream of that sense of me appearing and it has those attributes of uniqueness discreteness even if someone even if everyone in the planet had your name but somehow you will still be something uniquely discreet from everyone else Say it slow, say it fast, in whatever way works for you. So you feel, really feel the sense of discreteness, uniqueness, me. Partlessly me.
this. So they are only in relation to what phenomena your name is called to your body when someone sees you to your mind, your personality when someone is thinking of you or trying to describe the kind of person you are so you are either the body You are either the mind, or just like when you take two things, you put them together, and they give you a third thing, then you may be, because the body and mind come together, then the me is produced. sensing the me. So is the me equal? The same, it's the body itself. Is it that? The body is appearing. You think of your body when your name is called. So is there a part, so whatever part of the body that you touch and you can legitimately say something other than your name, If that's the case, any of those parts you will remove. There you are sitting, feeling me, remembering how it's someone sees you sitting there, the body, they see in the body, they say, they call your name, and you respond with the body. So there's that strong sense that I am the body. immediately remove the limbs because you can think of a situation let's say if always, we're not even going to think about uh, accidents tra tragic things like that let's say you want to be enhanced and they make the perfect legs that don't get diseased that don't get tired and you replace your legs so if these legs that you have right now are necessary for you to be you, then if they are removed, you can you will be lost. You will be something different. You will be a different person. You will be you will not be you anymore. But since the legs can be removed and the you, the sense of me is still there, then the legs are not the me. So remove your limbs, your legs, now it's just the torso.
remove the convictions connected to the arms and the legs being me. No matter how attached you are to them. And in the same way, now we have modern technology, we can almost replace every organ within the torso. Even the heart can be replaced. So if these present hearts and organs, the skin, the bones, if they can be replaced by something else other than what's there, and still I can say me, then we can remove the torso. Now it's just your head. So the conviction that your torso is your you is you, you remove that. And because you remove the torso, when you look there, looking for me, what you're seeing is empty space or space-like. Now it's just your head. Then if your head is you, then in the same way you were able to replace everything in the torso and still me was there, you said the same thing with the head. Now, when you're doing this meditation by yourself, and my voice is not there to disturb you, there should be with you a conviction that I am the head. Therefore, I am the head. The head and I are one and the same thing. Once you have that, then all oh, the eyes can be replaced. So the eyes are not necessary for the eye, for me. I can remove them and I can still feel me. And almost pretty much with everything else, and now you're left with the brain and the conviction that some materialist scientists are saying, now you have it, I am the brain. The brain and myself are one and the same. And you remember some experiments that were done with this brain, some accidents that happened, where, let's say for example, the entire left part of the brain became inactive. The sense of I was still there. So the left part of the brain is not necessary then there's the conviction, conviction is the right part. But if it was the other, the other way, if it was the left part that was removed and the right part stayed, you would still have the sense of me present. You just remove the brain because it is neither necessarily the left or necessarily the right and there's no other part of the brain left. And all you have left now, where the body used to be, where the sense of, not where the body used to be, but 
where I used to think I am in terms of the space of the body, now there's no appearance whatsoever. And now there is the conviction, I am not the body. That's where you should arrive. But if the if you didn't feel yourself annihilated or destroyed when you remove the body completely, somehow there's a sense of I remaining. Then you think the brain and the mind are separate things then. I'm the mind. And the same thing happens again with the mind. Are you memory? Are you feelings? Are you perception? If you are memory, when, well, what happened? How come people still have a sense of I when they don't remember things? Then they lose memory. Then we remove memory. Perception. Well, what happened when certain perceptual faculties are not functioning? And we move perception. And feelings, when you're happy, if it's happy, what about when you're sad? If, you were, if it was happy, then you should not be able to feel sad. And when sadness is present and f feeling happy is not present, then you should have disappeared. But the sense of I is still there. Once you've exhausted everything that appears that's supposed to be mind, then you cannot find that discrete, unique, partless something that can be identified within the mind, then you're left with another space like or the absence of an expected appearance 
is causing that fear. So bear it if you can. Okay, within this space of utter freedom, that waves of compassion Sincere concerns, compassionate concerns, and dedicate this freedom to alleviate those difficulties in those places. your own dedication. Bring your attention back to the physical properties of the breath. 
So the self you thought existed doesn't exist. But you exist. And you are breathing. You didn't have any of those emotional things I was <laughs> warning you about because I was here to make sure I was distracting you. Uh, <laughs> but when you take, when you uh, do this at home, make sure all the emotional parts are present. The conviction is there. Okay. Uh, I have to say this last part just to appease my own mind and uh, Ananda's uh, response to the king who was afraid that I'm, uh, I'm going to die, I'm going to cease to exist. What you are is not something that can be enveloped by any concept. Imagine a oneness that is at ease with duality. Imagine a duality that is at ease with oneness. And these two inconceivables are already concepts. And what you are is beyond even those concepts. that alleviated the fear. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thank you. Thank you.